0: Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari.
1: Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and today I am here with Paige Lawrence. How are you, Paige? I am doing great. Excited to be here with you today. Thank you so much. Me too. So I'm excited to meet uh, for you to get to know our audience and for them to get to know you because I think you have such a great story and I'm very excited to have you tell it. So Paige Lawrence is an Olympic pairs figure skater turned high performance business coach. She's taken the lessons learned as an Olympian, refined the framework, and now helps entrepreneurs get outstanding results in their business and life by optimizing their mindset, up-leveling their habits and practices, and becoming more deliberate with how they run their businesses, pursue their goals, and ultimately create their most successful lives. So, so exciting. So I know... First, I'm gonna just say this because I think this is a universal thing. That is, Olympic pairs figure skating is literally like the favorite thing to watch, right? <laughs> like that's everybody's <laughs> like, I could totally do that. And then, of course, no, we we look like you know brand new <laughs> newborn calves when we get out there on the on the actual ice. <laughs> I mean,
0: that that's kind of our job is to mm-hmm. make it look effortless and easy, yeah,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> compliment. Mm -hmm. So I love it. So how, how young were you when you started doing this? So I
0: was four years old when I first started skating. So super young. I will say I had no aspirations at the time of being an Olympic figure skater. Really? simply went into figure skating because it was a form of like a recreational activity i grew up in a teensy tiny town like 200 people so it was one of the only
1: recreational Mm -hmm. activities
0: in the winter i really just started to skate to have something to do and i quickly fell in love with it
1: oh that's so fantastic so you started pairs figure skating. So when you're four, obviously you're just kind of like learning things, right? So what? at what point do you get into the pairs figure skating and how do you make that decision versus, you know, doing it on your own?
0: Yeah. So I had a real big transition moment when I was nine years old. I went from my local figure skating club and coach to a neighboring town simply because I really loved figure skating at this point and there was a better coach like available 20 minutes from home so from that point on i became a competitive figure skater i quickly became one of the top single or solo skaters in our province and i honestly like thought that was as good as it was gonna get Mm -hmm. but when i was 15 there was a boy in our club who was left-handed in figure skating just like me because in all sports there's lefties there's righties lefties are a minority in figure skating much like in life and so this boy in my club named Rudy wanted to try figures our pairs and being one of the only lefties who is short enough, small enough to be lifted and thrown. Um, my co- coach kind of forced me into it, to be honest really? with you. I. Yeah. I didn't want to do pairs. I'm a very fiercely independent person. (laughs) So the idea of, of linking my success and my fate to another individual really wasn't appealing, but I decided to do pairs for one year to like help my friend out. And that one year, really transformed into nine years and ultimately the best decision I could have ever made because in pairs figure skating, I really found the place I was supposed to be. I found the avenue that I was what I believe like meant for. I loved being chucked across the ice and lifted above. (laughs) I love the risk and the speed and and the intricacy of working with another individual. And so it really kind of happened like as corny as it sounds, like by fate. And I
1: owe it all to my bossy coach. <laughs> that is so awesome. I love that. So and and like, like you, I'm fiercely independent also. And so I would be like, wait, what I have to put I'm, I'm putting all of my talent in, you know, in, in a thing where I have to be with somebody else. <laughs> yes. That's fantastic. How cool is that? Well, very cool. And then how so what's the journey to the Olympics like?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a that's a loaded question. It's it was a huge ordeal. I will mm. say we started skating pairs when I was 15, my partner was like 17 or 18, he was a few years older than me. Um, and again, it was really just like let's see how far this can go. Yeah. We knew we had potential as a pair team. You could tell right away that we were really strong technically. Um, but we were last, I'm Canadian. We were last in Canada our first two years. (laughs) So (laughs) it was kind of one of those things where we're like, we know we have potential, but we're just not, we're not there yet. Mm. Um, it was in that third year of us training together that we kind of had a breakthrough moment. We made the national team, we went to junior world and we really started to click and have stuff fall together. And it was at that point, so that would have been 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, that we sat down and really took a look at ourselves and what our goals could be. And we knew in the Olympic world, you kind of live in these four-year cycles, right? Because the Olympics happen every four years. So in 2008, we were two seasons away from the next Olympics. Okay. We knew that it wasn't really a realistic goal in two years to make the Olympic team. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, great. Two- 2010 is off the table. Is 2014 something that we want to commit to? So at this point, you know, we're a little over six years away when we made the decision, Hey, let's really double down. Let's commit yeah. to other, Let's commit to this process and let's make 2014 Olympics. Mm-hmm. happen. And So from that moment on, it was really all just about, Planning for success, adapting and adjusting the plan when things went <laughs> off the plan, right? right. And showing <laughs> the work day in day out for that six-year-long goal.
1: Wow! Well, good for you. How awesome! So, so you get to the Olympics, and what was the most surprising thing about the Olympics? Gosh,
0: I mean, the Olympics was just the best experience of my life. It sounds like really? so-
1: Which one was
0: this? Where was it? It was Sochi, Russia in 2014. Um, And it really was like this, I would say, like eye-opening, wonderful experience. And I think I'm very fortunate. I had a cool experience happen to me on, I think, my first night at the Olympic Village that really changed how I approached the rest of the two and a half weeks that we were in Russia. So I'm a pretty outgoing gal. I love meeting people. And that first night I was up in the athletes lounge with Team Canada and I found myself having a major case of what I now know is imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. I, I'm stuck in the corner, really being overcome with the who am I to be here? I'm just little old me from Kennedy, Saskatchewan. I don't belong with these Olympic athletes that I've seen on TV. So I, I wallowed in that for a little bit. And then I gave myself a, te- a pep talk, got out there, sat down at this table of this group of athletes and just started talking with this guy next to me. And I remember really connecting with him. I felt like he was from a small town. I was from a small town. You know, he'd overcome a lot to get to the Olympics. I'd overcome a lot to get to the Olympics. And I felt like I was connecting with probably a like-minded individual, someone that probably was also feeling a little out of place. And and it really made me feel at home and like I belonged. Now, I went back to my room that night. was on the internet. Facebook was cool at the time, so I was on Facebook. And I saw an article pop up about some Olympic athletes that I was tagged in. So I clicked it and I'm scanning it. And I see this guy's face pop up the guy I had been visiting with. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I know him. I'm going to yes. I'm gonna read about him.
1: <laughs> we chatted.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Turns out that this guy that I thought was just like me was actually an Olympic medalist. He's a several time world medalist. You know, he was <laughs> one of the top dogs. That I had really been feeling like I didn't belong with. And so in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, how did you not know? I'm so embarrassed. And I went to bed feeling like a schmuck. Uh-huh. And I saw him <laughs> like, okay, and I walked up to him and kind of smacked him on the shoulder and was like, hey, why didn't you tell me last night when we were talking that you're so good at your sport? Like, I feel like an idiot that I didn't know how good you were. Yeah. And he yeah. looked at me. Kind of a little bit like, what is this girl talking about? And he said, well, Paige, we're at the Olympics. We're all pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it sounds so silly. But Mm -hmm. in that moment, a light bulb went off for me. And I was like, oh, that's right. And what happened from that point on is I gave myself permission to belong. Belong. I gave myself permission to be equals with those around me because at the, our roots at the base of who we are we're all just humans. Mm-hmm. And at this point we all found something that we love to do that we worked our buns off to achieve. And now we're all showing up with these big vulnerabilities and the pressure to perform at something that means a lot to us. And so it was a really humanizing experience that changed how I met people, how I approached the competition, and that really kind of has shifted my viewpoint of humans, you know, after the fact as well. Mm-hmm. It's been kind of like this great equalizer. And so, I mean, I know that's a long story.
1: <laughs> no, I love it. Well, and I'm sure what he's probably like loving the fact that you don't know who he is and he's just talking to you like a normal person. Right. Because I think when you reach a certain level, people talk to you and they address you address you differently. And so I'm sure it was refreshing for him to talk to somebody who didn't know all of his accolades and his resume. He was just a person, right? He was just a guy you were talking to at an event. And I'm sure for him, it was like, oh, this feels so less pressure, right? Like, I don't have to perform to what their expectations are of me.
0: Yes. And that's kind of been my approach to life and people outside of that. Like I like to meet people as humans first yeah. and accolades' accomplishments second. You right, know, right, I think right. it, it gives you a totally different perspective and conversation with that human as opposed to
1: an idol. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I'm I'm one of those where, you know, I'm in the events industry and we see a lot of celebrities and and I don't know who anybody is. Like I have really <laughs> <laughs> I am so bad at this. Like, unless you show me a picture and they're in the exact same clothing with the same facial expression, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if it's the same person, if it's not the same. <laughs> like, you really have to be like mirror image in order for me for it to click for me. <laughs> but yeah. I talk to everybody the same because I don't yeah. know who you are. <laughs> and so Yeah, we, exactly. We, Probably
0: a skill set for you, right? Yeah, you it use works. It works great.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it works great. <laughs> It humbles people a little bit, I think. They're like, just totally. you know who I am. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> So, anyway, um, so, okay. So then you, you finished the Olympics. You're in this amazing place in life, right? Like you've achieved this massive life goal. So then what, what happens then? Because I know you, you've you now, you have this amazing coaching practice now. So, yeah. so what was that transition like?
0: Yeah, it's, um, I would love to say it's transitioned from amazing to amazing quite easily, but yeah. that would be a big lie. Um, mm-hmm. I came back from the Olympics and hit probably the lowest low of my life. I retired life. shortly after and I really retired without a plan, without mm-hmm. a purpose. Yeah. And I hadn't realized how much my ent- identity had been wrapped up in my sport and what I did, until Mm -hmm. I found myself without that sport. And so for the next two years, it was really like starting over for me. I was 24 years old. And I couldn't tell you what I wanted to accomplish tomorrow, let alone four years from now, which was a shock to my system, right? As I just shared, yeah. I had been living in the paradigm that you're able to plan your life six years in advance and, and it and it goes to plan relatively yeah. close anyways. Yeah. And
1: yeah.
0: it was a harsh reality to realize that that's just not how the world works for most people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is true. So um. it was really a period of rediscovery, of leaning into the tools that I had relied on in the world of elite sport to help move me through this rough patch. And I really just started to get clear on what I like to do, what I could possibly pour my time and energy into. And eventually, as I explored different options, I just started following the yeses, things that felt a little closer to what I was wanting to do. And through several different attempts, you know, different courses, different certifications, different jobs that I sometimes quickly quit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I ended up like, getting certified as a life coach, as a positive psychology practitioner, which then led me to go to grad school to become an executive coach. Which then led me to really checking in with my values. What do I want to do with this? That ultimately led me to start my own business where I'm focusing primarily on working with entrepreneurs and helping them to really define what their goals are so we can create a really strong plan of action, execute it, show up for those goals and create a really fulfilling and successful life.
1: That is so cool. So I love that. And I love that you kind of figured it out along the way. And now you're using, you know, all the tools that you use to make yourself an Olympian. Now you're using in the business world to help other people achieve their own success. So that's super, super awesome. So um I want to dive into a couple things that are kind of like your niche. Um so you talk about the safety first thing but for you it's safety third. So tell me what that means. <laughs> safety third
0: is like my life motto. Uh-huh. Um it's something that my dad used to jokingly say, we live we grew up on a ranch, and so accidents yeah. would inevitably happen. And it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, safety third. But I grasped onto it and I took it into my skating practice yeah. really as this push to embrace risks. In pair skating, there's inevitably a lot of risk you're going to fall you're going to be dropped it's going to hurt sometimes yeah. and in figure skating, there's really only one way to do the thing and that was to do it
1: yeah right? yeah for sure and so
0: for me safety third was really my push to be daring to be bold and to trust myself enough to step outside of my comfort zone in business now I'm not getting thrown across the ice or right. flipped upside down around some guy's head. Instead, this motto of safety third is that still that pushed to step outside my comfort zone. Being an entrepreneur involves you being vulnerable. It mm-hmm. involves you taking risks. It involves you stepping outside your little security zone. Right. Yeah. And it can be really easy to fall into that trap of just staying where you feel safe and secure. And so anytime I catch myself playing small or pulling back, I'm like, no safety third,
1: like we're going to go for this. (laughs) <laughs> mm, I love that. I love that so much because yeah, I, I think as entrepreneurs, especially when you've gone through the grind and you're like, okay, I finally got breathing room. You know, your, your natural inclination is, I think I'm going to stay right here. This feels very yes. comfortable. Right. And so you're not pushing yourself to the next level and you're not forcing that growth because you know how uncomfortable growth is like growth hurts. <laughs> it really, it kind of feels like you're getting thrown across the ice. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it does. I've Absolutely. <laughs> and so um, every once in a while, you're like, uh, I kind of want to just hang out here in the uh, complacency zone for a minute. And yeah. that way I can, um, you know, catch my breath. And so I think that that's something that we might naturally do. And so having an executive coach or somebody who's kind of right with us, like, uh, uh-uh, uh, nope, it's time to go twirl again. Let's go. <laughs> you know? Exactly.
0: Yes. It's one of those things too, where I'm like, I love to lead by example. Yeah. And if I'm yeah. going to call my clients out and ask them to live bold lives and to step outside their comfort zones, like I need to be able to back that up with my 100%. own actions, Right. 100%. So this is me holding myself
1: accountable as well. Yeah. Well, I love that so much. Okay, cool. So, um, you talk and I know that you must have dealt with this a a whole lot in your career, but criticism, um, that is one of the hardest things for us to endure, especially as women. I think because we're very critical of ourselves, right? Like I think men have this confidence in them that says I belong here. I deserve to be here. And women always have those doubts of like, I don't deserve this. Like I'm way out of my, you know, I'm punching above my weight class kind of a thing. And um, so we were constantly fighting that imposter syndrome. So tell me how you deal with criticism and how you help other people deal with criticism. So again,
0: I mean, I pull a lot from my days in sport and I think Mm -hmm. it's really just because it's such a concentrated learning environment feedback Mm -hmm. criticism they're built into the life of an elite athlete and it's kind of that like eat or be eaten mentality either you're gonna make it work for you or it's gonna eat you up and spit you out alive yeah so for me this wasn't even something that i really realized was a skill set of mine because i did it so naturally but Mm -hmm. as i started working with more and more people i realized that there's a lot of us that struggle with feedback. I think yeah. we, we take it, yeah. we take it emotionally, right? We, we feel it as an attack against us. Our right. ego gets involved. And so for me, I have these three steps that I feel like empowers people to handle mm-hmm. any feedback, negative criticism, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. In a way that's empowering and, and positive. So step one Okay, is is this feedback coming from someone that you trust and or respect? Okay, right? okay. I think like especially in the world of social media, we're getting opinions thrown oh at gosh. us left, yeah. right, and center. Right? Yeah. They're yeah. they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is a really great checkpoint to me. I go, okay, pause. Is this opinion? Is this piece of information coming to me from someone that I trust and respect? Right. If it's a yes, I move to step two. If it's a no, we stop right there. We throw it out the window. I don't spend any more time or energy on that piece of information. Yeah. If it's not from someone I trust or respect, like why,
1: why would we yeah. even go down? This road? S- somebody sitting behind a keyboard, anonymous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree yeah. with you.
0: And I also love to make it a little bit more specific here too. Is it someone that you trust or respect in this area of your life, right? I love my mom. I mm-hmm. trust and respect my mom in so many aspects of my life, but she's not an entrepreneur. She doesn't run her own business. She doesn't understand necessarily what I'm doing. And so there are times I'm just using her as an example. Yeah, yeah. She's the sweetest lady in the world. If she's giving me advice that I am uncertain about or or really just stop and reflect, do I need to take do I need to take this into consideration? there's been times that I've paused her because she isn't a trusted and respected voice in my business mode. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So we have to really consider context in person. Mm-hmm. If it's a yes, we move to yes. step two. This is where you ask yourself, is this opinion, comment, feedback, criticism meant to help me? Mm-hmm. I think this is really important because a lot of people suck At communicating. (laughs)
1: Yes, (laughs) absolutely they do.
0: A lot of people aren't good with their words Mm -mm. and quite frankly, can say things that they've intended to be helpful in a really hurtful way. So this is where we press pause on our emotions, on our initial reactions. And I like to evaluate, is the intention behind this meant to help me? Yeah. Despite how it was delivered. Mm Mm-hmm. What's empowering about this, again, it's giving like you control over the feedback where you get to evaluate it to say, okay, is this meant to hurt me? Is yeah. this just meant to tear me down? Because again, if so, we're tossing it. No more time energy is going into that. Why would yeah. we? Yeah. yeah. But if harsh or hurtful feedback has been shared to us, that's meant to help us or has a, as an opportunity to be helpful to us, we move to step three, which is quite simply... You get to choose what you do with the feedback. And again, I think this is something that people take for granted. We think that we've been given the feedback, so we have to deal with it. We have to think about it. We have to incorporate it or respond to it. Yeah. You don't have to do any of that. You get to choose how you interact with it. Do you want to throw it out? Even though it came from a trusted source and it's meant to help you, but it doesn't fit into your goals or your life, Mm -hmm. stop it. Yeah. Or, oh, was that really poorly said to me? But there's a helpful piece of information in there that I want to use to make myself better. Absolutely. Right. So it's really just an opportunity to pause, reflect mm-hmm. on these different perspectives and ultimately decide how do I now want to take this feedback yeah. to help me be my best? That's yeah. it. That's
1: simple. But man, she works. Yeah, I I love that. I love it. I love it. So so what I love about that the most is that you are categorizing feedback into um Am I going to do something with this, or am I not? Right? Because I think so many times we're getting so much thrown at us. Right? Like you're not doing this right, and and you know, in, in my scenario, I have feedback coming from employees, I have feedback coming from clients, I have feedback coming from advisors, I have feedback coming from family and friends who mean well but may not really understand my circumstance. And so you have all of these different, and you've got to. I, I also throw in what is the agenda behind the feedback right? Mm -hmm. Is the agenda. And I like that you address that you say, you know, is this meant to help me? Sometimes the agenda is it's meant to help them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, I need this. And therefore, I'm going to criticize you and what you're doing, because I need more of this and you're not giving it to me. Right. And so the agenda, what is the agenda is the agenda that they need more from you. And so they're going to direct that criticism to you. In hopes that they get more of what they want, or is the is it really just purely to help you? So I, I love that that's number two for you because it really is it really is important. Is what's what's the intention behind it?
0: Yeah, I think that feedback can be triggering and put people into a reactive state.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes.
0: And really, what these three steps allow you to do is to pause the reaction. And to become an active participant in the interaction with the feedback. So Mm -hmm. we're not just blindly reacting. We're actually showing up in the driver's seat saying, okay, how is this going to affect me? How do I want to bring this into my life or not bring this into my life? How do I want to engage? And that's so powerful. It's just a perspective shift. We are not a victim to the feedback. We are not reactive to the feedback. We're the driver of the feedback. We're in control here. We have the power.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so tell me when you're getting criticism and when you're, when you're getting feedback, that's negative, um, do, does that weigh on you? Because it, it, it does tend to weigh on us, but how do you stop that? And I know that you, you know, you put it into perspective, but when you're really getting a lot of the same feedback, you know, like, whatever that is, do you put value on it at any point when you're like, okay, you know what, more than 10 people have said something. So do you then maybe put value in it? Or do you still say probably doesn't fit the parameter?
0: Yeah, it's a, great question. And I think, you know, it's, it's unique to every scenario. If I'm getting the same piece of feedback from 10 different people, I'm definitely going to sit with that feedback and probably ask myself, what are they seeing that I'm missing? Because this is continuing to happen. And so my decision to, you know, not do anything with it. Let's Mm reevaluate. What, what other options could I explore? Mm -hmm. What could I do with this to help me? Sometimes I mean, maybe, maybe even just looks like, oh, let's engage in a conversation to ask more questions, to gain, to gain clarity around what other people are seeing that I'm missing.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: what pops up for me. So if I'm getting their feedback 10 different times, I'm clearly missing something as I evaluate the scenario. And right. if I have missed it 10 times, let's stop guessing and let's have a conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And you know, I think it's it's funny, because we're talking about criticism. And I think criticism is one of those things that it does hurt our ego. But I think there's also something to be said for listening to people who are giving you positive feedback, but possibly just because they don't want to hurt your feelings. Like I really actually prefer to have people be Hundred percent honest with me because even though it might hurt a little bit, it'll help me be better, right? And so, I try to surround myself with people who are very authentic and feel comfortable giving me that feedback as well. So, yes. I think there's there's a good place for criticism um, or absolutely a good place for, for feedback as well. For
0: feedback, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like I was always the athlete when I was training. Was like, yeah. don't waste your breath telling me what i'm doing right. I know yeah. what i'm doing right. Tell me what i'm doing wrong so i can fix it. Oh, so i love totally, that. Yeah. So i totally relate to that. And i also want to say i owned that that was my perspective. And so as people were sharing, you know, what i called the, the fluffy good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I would say, "Hey, thank you. I appreciate this. I actually want to be clear with you what my expectations are. I'm looking for ways to get better." Yeah. I'm aware that i'm doing a good job over here. Would you be able to share some of these areas that you see I
1: could improve in? So again,
0: communication is important and I can control my side of it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So tell me a little bit about when you're making your transition into the business world as an entrepreneur, what obstacles did you overcome as an entrepreneur getting your business off the ground? Man, so (laughs) many. Right. <laughs> I yeah. I
0: mean, I mean, one is I had this unique perspective of I had just achieved the ultimate success and yeah. viewed myself as that. And suddenly I was having this huge paradigm shift to I'm a baby beginner again that uh-huh. doesn't know what she's doing. And so Mm -hmm. I had to really shift my mindset. That was the first thing I think that was a big change for me. Rather than going into it from a fairly expert mindset, where you're looking at different things, your adjustments are different, your processes are different, to being a learner, Mm -hmm. to being a beginner, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was a big shift for me. And so it allowed me, once I was able to fully step in, to learn my baby beginner mindset, It allowed me to go out there and be messy a little bit and to make mistakes and to like prioritize progress rather than perfection, which is what I was really trying to do at the beginning. And I couldn't be perfect because I hadn't got any reps in yet. Yeah, yeah. So I think that was one of the biggest hurdles was really just understanding where I was at in the process and showing up fully in that role with those responsibilities recognizing it's a very different role with different responsibilities than five year down the row version of Paige.
1: yeah does that make sense yeah absolutely 100% yeah so so as you're going into you know you're you're creating this new version of yourself right? Like you're reinventing yourself essentially, and you're figuring out how to take on something like you don't do things small, right? Obviously you go all in, that's your personality, right? Like that's what makes you a champion. That's what makes you great. And so you're all in on this and you hit a couple road, road bumps and you're like, okay, is this still something I want to continue doing? Did you ever have any doubts that maybe you were on the wrong path or right path? Do you know what? This is this is actually a, a
0: really interesting question because that's making me realize. No, I, I never, I never questioned it, and I also yeah. didn't ever question my path to the Olympics. Like it's like once I decided I was going to do something, I recognized that it was capable. Like I was capable of it. It was just going yeah. to take the time and the effort. Now that being said, there was a lot of struggle bus moments at the yeah. beginning. Where I'm like,
1: How do I do this? Right, (laughs) right, right. right. Really,
0: truly, I know I'm capable, but how? And I think one of the big shifts for me, again, was realizing that structure was Mm -hmm. really important. And that was something that was built in for me as a figure skater, as a competitive athlete. I had a coach, I had a team Mm -hmm. of coaches, I had a team of professionals in every different avenue telling me what to do And I just got to go and execute,
1: right? So
0: execution was something that I was really familiar with. That is a pillar of what I help my entrepreneurs do now is execute. Uh But I realized as the entrepreneur, I didn't have a team of people telling me what to do. So Mm -hmm. I actually had to create the strategical structure that was missing. And once I realized that, that was a big game changer for me. Because I started to look at and evaluate what made me a successful athlete. What structure did I need to allow me to show up and simply execute? Yeah. And so I paused my whole process there and started to really think about what are the structural pieces that I need in this business to help plan out, strategize, break down what I'm wanting to go do. So Mm -hmm. I get to just go do. Those are two different pieces of the puzzle.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. Because I mean, you can learn a lot from, you know, about business in sports, you know, from um, my son, I have a 16 year old son, and he plays baseball. And I always say, playing sports is one of the best business lessons you can get. Because that structure, that coaching, that feedback, like so many things. And, you know, there has to be a level of self-motivation in there, right? Because if you're an athlete and you want to be great at what you do, the level of commitment has to go higher, right? And I always say, if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? And so every time my son complains, oh, this is so hard. Oh, this is I'm like <laughs> if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? If you want to be great, you have to do what other people aren't willing to do. Don't be basic. Don't you know don't <laughs> just sit there and take the minimum and think that you're gonna get something great, right? Like basic people don't become great. <laughs> and so like this is what I kind of remind him all the time. It's like, yeah, it's hard. This is why, this is why it's it's you know, there, there's a smaller, you know, percentage of people at the top. Because it's hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I
0: I I fully agree. And I'm like, I think that entrepreneurship is its own beast, yeah. right? Because we have to create the structure yep. ourselves. Yep. Right. It's it's one thing to do the hard things. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Yeah. Challenging. Like you said not everyone can do it. But it's another thing to set yourself up and to craft out the list of hard things that you're going to go and do and how you're going to do it. And then
1: wake up and do it. Yeah. 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 It's like, okay, there's a mountain over there and it's going to hurt and it's going to, you know, it's going to be a grind and it's going to take you forever and you're going to have to sacrifice a ton. Aren't you excited to go do it? <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. like, no, I'm not <laughs> excited. <laughs> you know, but, but okay. So I, I, yeah, that, that's fantastic. So when you go into um, owning your business and you start helping entrepreneurs, what do you think is the most surprising thing that you have found when working with entrepreneurs? When it comes to them running a
0: business. Most, most surprising. I mean, here's, here's where I'm, where my approach is like over the years, I've found that people typically struggle in one of three areas. It's the strategy and structure. Yeah, They don't have anything in place. Yes. They're struggling. They're, they're, you know, drowning. They got, yeah. they got no, no arm floaties. Or they struggle in the execution, the following Mm. through, getting stuff done. They get in their own way. We're all so good at getting in our own way, right? Or the third component is really just this like champion mentality, this ownership. I think it's a a step above confidence. It's this, this sense of ownership and belief. I belong. I'm capable. This is going to happen. Yeah. Right. Like the idea that I never once doubted I wasn't going to be successful at going to the Olympics or building this business. That's something I'd taught myself over the years. And so I think that one of those three areas is usually where I find them struggling. And then we, end up, you know, merging into the other two because they're
1: all related (laughs) and all necessary. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think it's based on personality type too. Right. So like my personality type, I'm much more of like a creative vision person and I'm not always good at executing. Right. And so like, I, I joke with my, my team at the office all the time. I've had a employee newsletter um, written on my to-do list for three months. And the reason is because it doesn't have a deadline. So every time, every time I start making my to-do list, it drops all the way down to the priority list and there are things I'm like, Oh, don't worry. It'll be in the newsletter. Oh, it'll be in the newsletter. (laughs) And this, this mysterious newsletter that never gets sent because it doesn't have a deadline, right? <laughs> yeah. But I am a deadline person, not a not a to-do list person. And so if it doesn't have a deadline, it doesn't really get done. It goes way to the you know the end of the to-do list. But executing is hard, right? Because I'm also Somebody who takes on way more things than is rational for a normal human being. Right. And so I'm like, oh no, I have this grand vision of what I'm capable of. And that's not actually like possible. Right. And so it takes a little bit of talking down off the cliff occasionally for me to say, okay, you're right. I'm not going to get this done today. Right. Like, or this week, or maybe this year. And so, yeah, I, I, um, but that, that's got to be a challenge with entrepreneurs because we think we can do everything. It's the truth, right?
0: We all have these unique—I'm going to call them flaws—pre-programmed uh-huh. ways of yep. operating that are normal to us, yet are not useful to us. Correct. Right? Yeah. And so it's like it's like our business results, especially as an entrepreneur, before you have this like large team, our results are largely a reflection of us. Yes. And if we're not constantly looking and evaluating and monitoring ourselves and how we're showing up, we are going to operate at a subpar level because that's our norm, it's what we're used to. Mm -hmm. And so I love diving into the execution of like how you're showing up, one, to highlight where you're great so we can Mm -hmm. utilize more of that. And two, to pull out these little tweaks where you could improve to really optimize the results that you're getting out of yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is higher for your weaknesses. And I think that's one thing that you struggle with initially because you're like, I don't have any weaknesses. I don't know what you're talking about, right? (laughs) But you start realizing like, okay, yeah, I really haven't. I haven't acquired a new, new client in three months because I don't have time to do sales, right? So even though it's something that you're capable of, it's not higher on the priority list. Right. And so that's where you need to, you know, start figuring out where you hire, because if you can start delegating those things that you, you love to do, like, I love to do sales. I don't have the time to do sales. Right. And so hiring that out was one of the best decisions I made. And, you know, but I struggled with it for, seven years before I pulled the trigger on it because I kept insisting to myself no I can do that I can do that I'll just I'll make time it'll be fine I can I'll figure it out I'll wake up earlier like in and, and you yeah. just yeah it took me seven years to figure that out but yeah you know. yeah we fall victim to our own falsehoods right we sure.
0: believe ourselves even though we know we're talking bullshit
1: yep all <laughs> the time all the time yep yep so so I think that you have such great Um, feedback for entrepreneurs and such great um, advice that you can give them through, you know, obviously through your life in sports, but also just in everything that you've learned as an executive coach and a life coach. And I just think that you can bring so much value to somebody's life. So that's amazing. And I love that you're helping entrepreneurs because of course, that's my sweet spot. I love entrepreneurs. I'm a big promoter of entrepreneurs. I, you know, I love women in the executive boardroom. Have you seen major differences between how men run businesses and how women run businesses?
0: That's a great question. I I would say you what you said earlier that men seem to step in and it's almost like they can take up space until proven wrong mm, right yeah. whereas women need a lot of proof and validation before they even step into a role that they're probably overly qualified for, I think that really shows up in how people approach their business. Now, that's not for everyone, right? I think that especially as an entrepreneur, you you need to adapt and to adjust and to learn how to be bold, to stand Mm -hmm. up for yourself. But I definitely think that there is a learning curve for women entrepreneurs to finally step into and claim their greatness, their place, their worthiness to go after the goals that they have.
1: Absolutely. So that leads me into this question. So as women, we give our power away all the time. So, you know, we might take criticism, we might, you know, give somebody else credit for our work, you know, whatever that taking, you know, giving your power away looks like, and it's all different. But I think as women, we've done that so often in our lives. Um, Tell me about a time that you gave your power away, and then another time that you stepped into your power. I think this is something that I learned in figure skating and also
0: had to relearn again as an entrepreneur. And it's this idea, I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's like like show up quietly and let your results speak for you. Yeah. Right? And that's what I really believed for a long time, is if I work hard and I work diligently in discipline, in quiet, my results are going to speak for themselves and people will notice my greatness, my capabilities, what's possible for me and the success and the the attention will come naturally. Mm -hmm. And what I had to learn in figure skating is no one's going to hand me the limelight. No one's going to hand me opportunities because they've seen what I'm doing. It's up to me to go and put myself into situations and to claim that spotlight and to claim those opportunities and say, watch me. Mm -hmm. I'm really friggin' great at this right? To claim that moment. Yeah. And I had to learn that in order to get to the level where I was given an Olympic opportunity.
1: Absolutely. And yet when I stepped
0: into the entrepreneur world, I was doing the same thing. You know, I'm working in quiet and my little hill on the side of a mountain in Montana. And I'm like, I'm doing great work. I feel really good about myself. Like the people will come, right. the attention will come you know, and I had to call myself out on it. Like yeah. get yourself into bigger rooms. Give yourself the right to claim opportunities, to jump before you're ready, to to claim your worthiness, to take up space. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And so that's that's what your question really brought up for me is that <sighs> is that permission to just like take up space. Girl, yes. If you yes. Want, if you want to be
1: noticed, go be noticed. Mhm. Oh, 100%. 100% I, I can totally it resonates with me 100%. So Okay, so what what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? 18-year-old self, Paige, was pretty on the spot. Yeah. (laughs) 18-year-old Paige was about to go to the Olympics and was having the best life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I I think that the the
0: thing that I had to, I'm going to go to 24-year-old Paige. Because she was a mess.
1: Yeah.
0: This this is where she was relearning life. And really, it would be a reminder when thinking about what I want to go and do, what my goals are, what my dream life looks like. No, not dream life. What my realistic life. Yeah. To to really claim big, Mm -hmm. bold, 10 out of 10 life. I had the guts to do it as a 16 year old saying, I want to go to the Olympics long before I had any proof that that was a reality or possibility for me. Yeah. And it happened because I claimed it. Same sort of thing needs to happen for all of us. Is it a 10 out of 10 life? It is achievable, right? If you have the courage and the guts to say, one, what does that look like for me? What does success mean to me? What does 10 out of 10 actually look like? Step one, claim that. And step two, like go after it, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to show up and work your buttons off day in, day out, let it be for something that is like truly magnificent and wonderful.
1: Yes. Yes. Amen. I agree. Well, good. Okay. So this is so, this has been so much fun and I've really enjoyed talking with you. So I have one more question for you. What do you wish more people knew?
0: What do I wish more people knew? I mean, let's say if we're focusing on the entrepreneurs, I think it really does have to be this balance of structure and freedom and flexibility because so mm. many of us come into this world wanting the freedom and the flexibility of their schedule and where they can work and how much they can work. And we end up falling victim to working all of the time because that's what we end up thinking that we need to do. And instead, I'm like, give yourself some really firm structure. What are you working on? How does that break down? What are your off hours? (laughs) What is the balance? (laughs) Yeah. What is the balance of work and play? Mm -hmm. Right. Truly create a life right now where you're at that reflects both the goals that you want for your business and the freedom that you're wanting. Because again, it's more attainable than you're giving yourself credit for.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think if you can create that structure, and you you time block it, then you're more intentional about that time, right? Because if you just consider, well, I just work all the time, and then you're not as intentional. And, uh, you know, you have employee newsletters that go three months. (laughs) (laughs)
0: not naming any names but yeah I I don't don't know who that is but
1: But yeah so I, I think that intentionality is important and you know when you're giving yourself structure structure with structure comes intentionality so I love that that's your focus in creating that for entrepreneurs I think that's probably what entrepreneurs could use more than anything because we take on so much we give ourselves unrealistic timelines and we are horrible at delegating so if we can create that structure that's something that I think could be a game changer for all of us yes I totally agree (laughs) so well thank you so much Paige this has been so much fun and I love your energy I love what you're doing I love that you're inspiring entrepreneurs Um, one of these days I'm gonna get this I can I'll be able to turn around and skate backwards that's my life goal (sighs) My bucket list things (laughs) Turn around and skate backwards on ice <laughs> and, you not do look, it. and not look like somebody who is a baby deer using their, their legs for the first time.
0: <laughs> I have full belief that you can do it and send the, the video when it happens.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much. You're such a pleasure to talk to and I've had so much fun. So I'm wishing you all the best. I know you're going to do amazing, amazing things for you and for all the entrepreneurs that you're helping out there. So thank you for what you're doing.
0: Thank you for having
1: me. So, guys, you can check out Paige on pretty powerfulpodcast.com. And where else can they find you, Paige? Instagram is a great place to connect with me. It's okay. at Paige
0: Lawrence Coaching. Um okay. I love connecting with people. If you listen to the podcast, pop into my DMs, say hi. You know, I just want to I want to connect.
1: Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you. So thank you guys for joining us for another episode of the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And again, you can go to prettypowerfulpodcast.com and check out Paige Lawrence. Thank you so much, everybody. Have an amazing day.
0: Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on Pretty Powerful Podcasts. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.